0: okay if you if you have your bibles let's go ahead and turn to uh psalm thirty four where we started last week uh and uh it's 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 interesting we're looking at the the actions that are going to come with the the fear of the lord the the fruit that comes when uh when we truly fear the lord uh that if you fear the lord and and you must we've uh, seen that for i mean for the sake of our our Christian faith but also for what uh, led us here to even look at the fear of the Lord which is uh, filling out this idea of the Lord telling us to, uh, asking the Lord to deliver us from evil and saying that uh, the, the Lord delivers those from evil, the, uh, the, the soldiers that uh, fight to please Him, and the good soldiers desire to please one who's enlisted them. And one of the things we saw that's pleasing the Lord is those who fear the Lord. Uh, and then we recognize, hey, we really know what the fear of the Lord is. And it's in the Bible a lot, so it would be foolish to say, all right, guys, if you want to, Please the Lord. If you want to, if you want to fight well against evil, you've got to please the Lord. And what please the Lord? The fear of the Lord. And all of us go, yeah. None of us know what that is. Uh, So we've been, uh, we've taken a sidetrack off a sidetrack off a sidetrack to get here, uh, all tracing back to to prayer. This is another area. Every time we get to something that it's like you know the church just isn't doesn't really have a lot of knowledge of these things, but the Bible expects us to. Uh, We want to dig deep. Uh, into those and so we've seen if if, if we fear the Lord we saw what the fear of the Lord is that it's you know uh, having faith uh, in the Lord because you're in awe of his glory and his holiness now if you have that if that's true of your heart there are going to be certain actions that we're going to see in our lives that if we're a church if we're a people who fear the Lord there'll be certain things that you see in us in in our lives fruit of that fear to naturally sort of occurring actions that are going to spring voluntarily uh, from the fear of the Lord. In other words, what we're saying is... is when we're looking at these fruits, this isn't saying you've got to do these things in order to fear the Lord. It's saying if you fear the Lord, these things will be there. These are fruits. Uh, like you, when, you, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's not, hey, you need these things so that, so that you have the Holy Spirit. It's that if the Holy Spirit is there, these things will be in your life. Same things for these fruit. If you fear the Lord, these actions are going to be in your life. They're not requirements. They're, they're evidences. Uh, these, aren't, these aren't rules. They're They're fruit. For the fear of the Lord. So, I mean, this is either going to help us see the the, the, the presence or, or health of our fear of the Lord. You'd ask, man, do I even fear Him at all? Or seeing these actions and needing them to be greater might cause you to say, hey, I need to fear Him more. I have some of these fruit, but I need this fruit to grow. So I've got to fear the Lord uh, more. I need my fear of the Lord to grow. The, the, the presence and the, the plentifulness of these fruits is going to show us what we need to be praying for. Either I need to fear you, I don't fear you, or I need my fear to grow because this fruit is a, is a middling fruit at best and I want to be a, a full ripe fruit uh, and so we've seen so far the things that the Bible says, hey, these are present, and those who truly fear me, the Lord says, those who fear me, this is what you're going to see in their lives. We've seen that those who fear the Lord, they praise the Lord. Their lives are lives of praise, uh, adoration, singing. This is why we said, uh, you know, sometimes uh, men are afraid to sing, uh, but if we're afraid to sing, it shows that we do not have a fear uh, of the Lord. That the, the, If we're in awe of God, uh, the, the volume of our praise will match the value of our God. Um, we saw that those who, who fear the Lord don't just praise the Lord, they serve the Lord, that we will uh, give our lives to Him. And then we've seen the last couple of weeks that those who fear the Lord depart from evil. And then starting last week, we saw that those who fear the Lord do good. And, and those last two, especially it's that last one that we started looking at last week, and we'll continue to look at. Uh, because although it, it's true that those who fear the Lord depart from evil, and both of those come from Psalm 34, uh, there's a lot in the Bible that those who fear the Lord will do good. And and so not only are we going to show that... So when it came to departing evil, we sort of dealt with departing evil generally. But when it comes to how those who... Uh, Fear the Lord will do good, will obey Him. Not only does it tell us we will obey Him, but then it gives us specifics and what that obedience looks like, and the level of obedience uh, that we that you see in the lives of those who fear the Lord. So, yeah, we we don't we depart from evil, but now we're digging deep into when the Lord says they do good and they obey Him, He gets really specific uh, in what that looks like, so we can sort of hone that fruit. So we can be like sort of you know. Uh, Botness of of this uh, fear of the Lord here. But let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Let's read Psalm 34 again. We're going to get from this, uh, you know, David here, who's going to tell us uh, what it looks like to fear the Lord, what you will see in those who fear the Lord. Uh, Beginning of verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So the fear of the Lord, departing from evil, doing good, that sort of middle of that word triangle there, that that chiasm where the the point is the point. Uh, But what though is the good? that the Bible is talking about. And there, there are we have lots of categories and lots of calls in the Bible, some that are precise, some that are very, very general. And as, as we began, we began probably with the, the most general, the most basic. We saw that last week, the most fundamental, that those who fear the Lord, uh, they do good. And what's that good that they do? Last week we saw, they obey the Lord. That they obey the commandments of the Lord. They obey Him. They obey the those who fear the Lord. They do good. What's the good that we do if we fear the Lord? The good that we'll do is we obey His commandments, His statutes, His rules, the Word of our uh, God. But when it comes to the fear of the Lord, it doesn't just say that those who fear the Lord obey Him. He sets the bar for us in what that obedience looks like. He doesn't just sort of give us leeway to set our own definitions of obedience. Do you obey the Lord? Yes, I obey the Lord. How do you know you obey the Lord? Because I do this. No, he's going to say, those who fear me, obey me, and this is how they obey. They obey like this, and then he sort of gives that description. So last week we saw that we need to do good, and one of the doing goods that we'll see in those who fear the Lord is that they obey his commandments, so we see that fruit. But as we see that fruit, what sort of level of that fruit should we be expecting what sort of obedience is God talking about? When God defines obeying him, what does what does he mean? So let's uh, let's look. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a sort of a full you know, biblical, uh, biblically defined understanding of what it means to obey the Lord. So let's look at a couple of things where the Lord defines obedience using the fear of the Lord, that those who fear Him obey Him like this. Okay, so we know that we do good. We know the subset of doing good is we obey Him. So uh, now we're going to see, he's going to describe those who fear the Lord obey Him in this way. There's a specific type of obeying His commands. It's not just obeying His commands, He's going to add uh, add to that. So those who fear the Lord obey Him, they obey always. Okay, those who fear the Lord obey always. And I really want you to spell always with two L's. And the reason I want you to do that is because we can, right? It's English, you can do whatever you want. Uh, But I I want us to get across the idea, the importance of the word all in this. I tried to think of lots of ways to say this, keeping the word all in there. I thought the end of this being the, the, the most helpful way. But those who obey the Lord, oh, who fear the Lord and obey him out of that fear, those who fear the Lord obey always. One of our foundations in the, in, in the foundry is I say obey, and the kids say right away, all the way, and with a good attitude every day. It's Part of the foundation that we say every every class, and every week when we start out, uh, I say obey, and they say uh, right away, all the way, and with a good attitude every day. And they say it like good soldiers, and if they don't, I make them say it again. Uh, And you see this in the fear of the Lord, that those who fear the Lord, they don't just obey, they're going to obey all the way. In other words, for the Christian, obedience is not just a token obedience. It's not just a halfway obedience. It is not an obedience of the sum, S-O-M-E. but an obedience of the all. And we actually saw this last week, and I told you we were going to come back to it, so you're probably really excited and waiting for this already. Uh, but look at in Deuteronomy, if we go back, to those commands about how those who fear the Lord, that results in obedience. If you fear me, you'll obey me. We're going to see in those that we read that God didn't just say, if you fear me, you'll obey me. But we're going to see that God uses the word all over and over and over. In fact, in almost every one of those times where we saw those who fear me obey me, he used the word all. He used the word all. Uh, And so let's go back and look at those um, we're going to see, see the word all. you see it repeated a lot. Let's start in Deuteronomy 6.2. Deuteronomy 6.2 is the one that, I, uh, that I, I pointed at a couple times uh, last week. But look at what it says. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Seriously, fearing the Lord results in obedience to all the commands all of your days, right? All. You're going to do all the commands and you're do those all of your days. So when the Lord's defining obey, he doesn't just say obey and then allow us to think that our sometimes obedience qualifies as obedience. He doesn't allow us to obey and us to think that, well, I obey some of his commands, so I'm obeying the Lord. Or I obey some of his commands, some of my days, so I'm obeying the Lord. Here he says, you fear the Lord, you'll obey all my commands all of your days. Those who fear the Lord, this is one of the fruits obey all the commands all of their days. In fact, if we go back to those commands about how the fear of the Lord results. We're going to see even more. Look at Deuteronomy 5. Go back to verse 29 through 33. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me. So the heart to fear, right? The fear of the Lord. They've got this heart to fear the Lord. Well, what's going to be the fruit of this heart? What are they going to be the actions? And to keep all my commandments. We saw that. That it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them. I'll show you all. I'll show you all of this, that you'll teach them, that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. You shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So so a heart that fears the Lord uh, is a heart that will do what? Verse 33, he says, uh, will walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. You go down to Deuteronomy 6 again, that next chapter. You go further down after verse 2, down into verse 24 and 25. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. For our good always. So if we're fearing the Lord our God, what are we doing? We're not just commanded to do some of the statutes. We're commanded to do all of the statutes. Uh, and verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So you do all the statutes and he will bless you all, literally all the days, right? That. Uh, so when it says to fear God uh, for our good always, Always, literally in the Hebrew, it's for our good all the days. So you fear the Lord, all the Lord's commandments, it will be good for you all of your days. I don't know why it says always. I think all all your days sounds really great. Uh, It'll be good for you all of your days, all the days of your life. So you obey all of the Lord. The good comes to you all the days of your life. Uh, But you are careful. Those who fear the Lord are careful. They're careful to do all. Those you fear the Lord, are not okay with doing some. If you fear the Lord, Christian, you will be careful and make sure that you do all. You will not allow yourself to be satisfied with a halfway covenant with the Lord. You will demand of yourself, before you demand of others, you will demand of yourself an obedience to the Lord that is in all obedience. If you fear Him, that is what will be birthed out of your heart. In fact, God warns about us not being careful to do all. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28:58. If you are not careful to do the words, is that what it says? No, you, I mean, you don't know. You didn't get to Deuteronomy 28 that fast. That'd be very impressive. Uh, you would have won a crown for the week in the foundry. Uh, you, get to, you get to Deuteronomy 28. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say if you are not careful to do the words. It says if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome, this fear, this glorious and fearful, this, that you may be in awe of this glorious and awesome. How, whichever, whichever synonym you want to use from the Hebrew, it's fine with me, as long as you understand, they're the, same, they're the same word. The Lord, your God. So those who fear the Lord, they're careful to do all. We saw that in Deuteronomy 6. And, and to not be careful to do all is to show a lack of fear of the Lord. So if you're not careful to do all that the Lord has said, if you as a believer are just like, I'll just, I'll just do however much I want to, might do some, I do a little. Oh, I'm really convicted, Lord. Oh, that's a really good passage. I think I. I mean, I know I should obey all the way to here. I'm going to go halfway. I'm going to do this much. That good with you, Lord? That's not a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, if we fear the Lord, what's going to be birthed in us is not just an obedience, but an always, an all obedience, an obedience of the all. Uh, And we even saw Remember what it said to the king in Deuteronomy 17? Deuteronomy 17, even the king, even the king, beginning of verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life. He's reading all of his days that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either the right or the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So he reads it all of his days. But why does he read it all of his days? He reads it all so that he will keep it all. So he might fear the Lord, because he fears the Lord. So he reads it all so that he'll fear the Lord. If he fears the Lord, he's going to keep it all and do it all. So what do we see over and over when it comes to the fear of the Lord and obedience in those passages over and over, over, it was the fear of the Lord is what? going to result in what? All, 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 all in every one of those passages, all the way, all the time, the fear of the Lord results in that type of obedience. So if we're going, hey, do I fear the Lord? And we're wanting to see what the level of our fears, either I don't fear him at all, which means I don't have any faith in him. Uh, I'm not in awe of his glory and splendor and I need to repent and, and seek salvation Or I'm I'm seeing that going, man, I I see that, but I want that fruit to grow in me. Well, what sort of fruit are we trying to grow? This is a fruit that leads to obedience. It is the obedience of of the all. Those who fear the Lord always obey. They obey all the way. They obey all the time. All the way and all the time. In fact, remember those two ideas because uh, those are going to be picked up for our lives as well. But one word that describes the obedience of those who fear the Lord is all. So when you're looking at your obedience, you're wanting to see the fruit. Do I fear the Lord like I should? You go, well, if you fear the Lord, you will do good. Okay, I do good. What sort of good does the Lord say I will do? Well, the good you will do is you will obey him. Okay, what sort of obedience are you looking for, Lord? What sort of obedience will we see? It is the obedience of all. And if the word all cannot describe any of your obedience, much less all of your obedience, then your fear of the Lord needs to grow. If you can't rightly say that all is a part of any of your obedience, that you don't have anything that you obey all the way and all the time, well, then what you are seeing is that your fear of the Lord needs to grow. That fruit needs to ripen on the vine. And you need to go, Lord, say, Lord, help me to fear you more. Grow this fruit in me. Because I don't obey always, all the time. So, given all to my obedience, I don't want to be the obedience of the sum, because the obedience of the sum is the obedience of someone who does not fear you, who's not amazed by you like they should be, who doesn't see you as glorious and holy. And so, since I don't see you as glorious and holy, they don't obey all the way. You're a god that it's like uh, like, it compa- like uh, we saw Jeremiah compare the, uh, the the idols, an idol whose whose commands are just wood. Their command, their commands are wood. Why would I do them? It's silly. Some of you are treating God like that. Because the Lord your God tells you to do something and you kind of do it. The idolaters would kind of obey their gods. They'd even kind of do things to the gods they knew weren't real. They would kind of obey wood. You think God is glorified because you kind of obey him? You give him the obedience of an idol and you expect him to be glorified by that obedience. You go, look look how much I fear you, Lord. I obey you as much as the stupid Foolish idol worshipers with their stupid, foolish gods. Aren't you glorified? If you have a fear of the Lord, if you're amazed by him, you will not obey him with the sum. You will obey him with all. All the way, all the time. At least that's what the Lord says. When the Lord's describing those who fear the Lord, he says, this is what that fruit will look like. So the, the the next two descriptions of obedience are actually going to play uh Play off of that idea. <laughs> know whom I have believed, and I don't know that we've got time to get into those. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stop there. We're gonna stop there because the next two are gonna be uh, a full sermon. I don't think we can get the next one. And no, no, we're not. Let's go. All right, next descriptions. Here we go. We're gonna do it. Uh, Okay, so, because then we're just going to get backlogged. If you remember, let's turn to the book of Job. Let's turn to the book of Job. We'll just get as far in here as we want. If we start leaving or if we pass out due to hunger or whatever, Uh, we'll be all right. Uh, If you remember, what did it say about Job? It said Job was... Perfect and upright. So let's let's look at. We said so when Job was doing good, we saw those two descriptions of of, of Job. Those two facets of someone who does good, born out of a a genuine fear. So we're actually going to look at those two things, and we'll see that they're going to match what we just saw in the idea of all. We're going to see it matches just what we saw in the idea of all. We'll try to look at that first one today. Maybe we can get all the way through it. If we can't, we know where we're going to be uh, next week. And you've got my phone number if you want to dig even more deeply uh, this week. Uh, so, so what we're going to see, we saw those who fear the Lord obey always. This time we're going to see those who fear the Lord obey perfectly. They obey perfectly. This would be like they, they obey all the way. They get to the end of the obedience. So they obey. They obey perfectly. They obey all the way. Now, as Christians, I know we struggle with the word perfect. We don't know what to do with the word perfect. Mostly because we've given the word perfect a new meaning. We've given it a mean, we give it a different meaning than it's had, a different meaning than it had in the Greek, a different meaning than it had in the Hebrew, even a different meaning than it had in the English. We give it a new meaning, and then we disqualify ourselves from what that word doesn't mean. So we see the word perfect, and we go, well, no, but he's perfect. No one can be perfect. And so we, that's why, for example, when it gets to Job... And in the Hebrew, it says Job was perfect and upright. They go, "Nah, don't use the word perfect. Uh, Don't use the word perfect because no one will know what to do. Uh, No one will know what to do with that. Uh, In fact, I almost used a different word here uh, to say that those who fear the Lord obey perfectly. I almost used a different word because the word perfect has almost become a pejorative in the Christian mind, but but I want to I want to both keep the word uh, found in our translations or in the translation we said, and, and I want to press against the modern definition of the word "perfect" that caused us to say things like like no one is perfect, and then we get to the Book of Job and we don't know uh, what to do there. Now, if you need time, if as we go through this, you go, I need to di- I need time to digest. Uh, even using the word perfect, if you want to use a different word that doesn't have the connotation that kind of gets our skin all crawly, use the word complete or thorough because the word perfect means complete or thorough. So if if you're like, "Ah, I'm not comfortable yet with perfect, uh, uh, a synonym for that in both the uh, Hebrew, Greek, and English is the word thorough or complete. They uh, obey the Lord completely all the way, all the way. But we actually see this idea of perfect obedience tied to the fear of the Lord. Often, when the Lord's talking about those who fear Him, we see that they fear Him with a and obey Him with a with a perfect obedience. So, if God so if God ties this idea of perfect obedience to obedience, I can't untie it because we've we've uh, got uh, sort of uncomfortable with that. So, so at least let's understand what God is saying, so we, we don't have to skip these verses and we don't have to go, "Hey, I know it says that Job was perfect and upright." I don't know what to do with that. That's above my pay grade. Uh, so I'm just gonna skip that Job passage or whatever. We read about Noah being uh a blameless, blameless in his generation. We're like, how does that even work? Uh so so that we're not doing that. Uh let let's uh let's dig into what scripture's saying. So we don't have to skip it or, you know, uh what give it the death of a thousand qualifiers. We're in the end of doesn't mean what it, explicitly, what it explicitly says. But actually, we saw this perfect obedience in the life of Job. You see it three times uh, just in the start of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was blameless, which we changed to, to perfect and upright. One who feared God turned away from evil. So uh, did the good. What's the good that he did? He was upright uh, and he was, uh, they translate it blameless, which is just not a good translation. Uh, he was perfect. Same thing in, in chapter 1, verse 8. He was a perfect and upright man. Same thing in chapter 2. He was a perfect and upright man who fears God turns away from evil. But the reason we change that translation isn't, isn't arbitrary. Uh, and, and using that word perfect isn't even foreign to the ESV. The ESV even translates that, translate that word perfect several times. Now, the ESV will normally translate it that way, perfect, uh, when it's associated with God. So when it's associated with God, that same word will be translated uh, perfect. It's the same word, but since God is the subject of those verses, they feel they can use that word perfect. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, it says, The rock, his work is perfect. Exact same word that was used to describe Job when uh, it said blameless. His wor, uh, The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Psalm nineteen, seven: the law of the Lord is perfect perfect. Exact same word used to describe Job and Job 1 and Job uh, 1-1 and Job uh, 1-8 and Job 2-3. Same, same exact word. So the, so the ESV translates it perfect in other places. Uh, I just think they should translate it perfect here as well. Now, now again, I understand the pressures to not do that for them and they can't have a big lengthy article at the end of their translation explaining why they do that. It probably was more of a headache than, than it was worth for them, but I'm your pastor. You live with me. I got plenty of time. Uh, so anyway, it, it would it have, like, like that, Now understand, that translation that they've got, blameless, that would have been great, right? That would have been a great translation for me to use a couple weeks ago when we saw how Job departed from evil, right? I could go, look, Job departed from evil. Well, how did Job depart from evil? He was blameless right? There was nothing wrong in his life. He was blameless. He stayed away from blame. It would have been a great verse, great great words to, to use there. The problem with that is that the words God used matter. And we want to be faithful to the words he used. And if anything, we want to make sure our ideas conform to those words he uses and not that we rework his words to conform to our ideas. And the problem is that the Hebrew word there for for blameless, uh, that they translate blameless, doesn't give the idea of being blameless or without blame. It's not a negative word. It's a positive word. And meaning it's not a word talking about what someone is lacking. In English, we do this, we'll add the word un, or we'll add the word im, like someone is unhelpful. They are without help. They are helpless. We might add the word less on the end of it. Like blame here. And do that same thing in the Hebrew. You can add uh, add prefixes and suffixes. So if, if the Hebrew, if God wanted to in the Hebrew say that he was without blame, could have very easily done it. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. That's not what that word, uh, that's not what that he- Hebrew word is. It's actually not a negative word, meaning uh, a word that's about what someone doesn't have. It's a positive word. I mean, it's about something that someone does have. It's about what they possess. Not what they don't possess. He has no blame. It's about what he does possess. In fact, that's how the word is used. It's, a, it's about, uh, so for example... Uh, it, it comes from a word, like, like I said, that means complete or finished. Remember I said, you if you wanted to say they obey God completely, it's because this word translated perfect is also translated complete or finished. So for example, in 1 Kings 7.22, uh, And the tops of the pillars was lily work, thus the work of the pillars was finished. Exact same word that we translated perfect or blameless. But the idea is not, it doesn't say the the work of the pillars was blameless. What's it saying? The work of the pillars was done. It was completed. It was finished. We see the same thing, Joshua 4.11. And when all the people had finished passing over. Now, when all the people had blamelessly passed over. uh, That's not the idea. It's not about what they don't have, but what they did do. When they had finished, when they had completed Passing over. So again, this word that's used to describe Job here uh, is not a word about what Job doesn't have, but about what he does have. That's why we changed it to perfect, because that's probably a better picture of what that word is conveying. It's not about what Job's lacking, but what Job's life was filled with. He was obeying all the way. He was. Obe- it was a complete obedience it's a it's it's helpful that that the same idea is carried in the New Testament when you see the word perfect the same word in the New Testament same idea in the New Testament is built off the word for end or ending telos teleology study of end things all those sorts of things it's the word for mature or maturity when a tree or a plant is mature it's the same idea same word that's used now when they say that tree is perfect they're not talking about some platonic form of a tree. Right. This is the perfect tree. Uh, what it's saying is that's a mature tree. That tree is as a tree should be. It has finished its growth. It is a tree, not a sapling anymore. Now this it is a and the same thing with a person. When a person is called mature, what it's saying they have reached the goal of what human growth is. They are a mature adult. Now, as we know, if we say they're a mature adult, we don't mean they are they are perfect in the sense of that we normally translate perfect as sinless. It's the idea of what they uh, what they are. In fact, so, so you've got it in the Hebrew. It means this idea that something is complete. You've got it in the Greek, the word perfect, translated perfect in your New Testaments and sometimes translated mature uh, is a word that means that something is complete. It's, it's even true that the word perfect itself in the English, that word is born from the same idea. The word perfect actually comes from the combination of two Latin words. And we could have Clay tell us what they are and give us an explanation, but I thought I'd do that today. Uh, 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 Per, which means the idea of complete and facere, which means doing. Complete doing. So per facere or per facere uh, is complete doing. Per, complete Fakare, doing, completed. So when they said perfect, what they're saying is doing something all the way. And that, so, so complete doing. So it's the, same, the same in the, the, the Hebrew, uh, the same in the Greek, the same in the English, all carry the same idea. Not what someone lacks, but what someone has. Not an idea of what they lack, but an idea of completeness. This reminds me of when we learned uh, about prayer and we saw that, that prayer means to ask that the Hebrew word for prayer means to ask, the Greek word for prayer means to ask. Uh, Even the English word pray means ask. It came from a word that just meant ask. To pray was to ask. And then we wonder how all these other things got attached. Same thing with with, with perfect here. Hebrew, Greek, English, they all mean that that something is complete or that something is done thoroughly. They're all about a fullness of what is there, not an emptiness, not about what something is missing. And, And that's important for us, I think, to understand. Because often when we think of perfect, we do think of the negative. We do think about what someone is lacking. If I were to ask you what does perfect mean, if I say what does perfect mean, the odds are you would probably say, well, it means that something is sinless. It means sinless, or it means you know without the the, the when we would say that car is uh you know th- this person what does it mean this perfect person this perf- person is perfect we'd say sinless and so then we do get all uncomfortable when someone talks or even insinuates about any type of perfection. So we really get uncomfortable when we start reading in the Bible and it says multiple times that so-and-so was perfect. We'll go, well, what do we do with this? All right, only, only Jesus was sinless. So don't say someone is perfect. We'll, go, well, what do we do with that? Only Jesus was sinless. What do we do with this person? And the, the problem is not with the text. The problem is with our own definition of the words. The problem is with, with our translation and our definitions that are off, not the text. Because that's not what perfect means. The word perfect is not about that someone is is blameless. It's not that they're without blame or without sin. The word perfect means that someone is complete, mature, thorough. That's the idea. It's about a completeness. And and this definition, this understanding is going to fit perfectly with what we see. It fits perfectly what we're going to see here in Job's life. And it's going to fit perfectly when we get to passages that might flummox us uh, otherwise. So it explains the story of the rich young ruler. Let's take, for example, the story of the rich young ruler. Why, Jesus, why did Jesus say to the rich young ruler why he said what he said? Remember, the, the rich young ruler, he said he's done what? I have done everything. Okay, remember that. And then take into account what the word perfect actually means, and that's gonna make what Jesus says to him make more sense. Look at what look at what happens in Matthew 19. Behold, uh, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter uh, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? So what do I need to do? He said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What, uh, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, and, and again, if you, really think you, if you really think you've done all these, if you would truly go all the way, if you want to be thorough, if you want to be complete, right? He says, I've done everything. He says, well, if you've really done it, if you're really perfect, he's not saying if you'd like to be sinless, because that's not what the man said. The man didn't say I'm sinless. The man said, I've done everything. I've done it all. And the Lord says, well, if you really want to be complete, if you really want to be mature, if you really want to be thorough, if you really want to obey all the way, like, you know, I've done it all. This is what you lack. Go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So the rich young man, he, he says he's done everything. He's claiming perfection, that he's made it to the end. I've done it all. He's like a, he's like a, a teenager who quickly tidies up the room and then shouts down the stairway, done. And you go up there and you go, it's not done. Uh, that's not that's not done at all, and that's what Jesus says. So he said, you know, he's like quickly done all the things. Said, hey, he's a rich young ruler. I'm I'm, I'm a young guy. I've done it all. And Jesus says, well, if you really want to be done, this is what you need to do. If you really want to be done, right? Clean up under your bed. Oh no, he knows about that. Oh no, he said, if you really want to be done, this is what you do. Do this. And notice again, the perfection isn't found in get rid of this, but in in doing more. Perfection isn't about uh, what you're, uh, uh, about stopping disobedience or a removal of blame. Perfection is about complete obedience. So take, for example, when the Bible calls the Christian to be perfect. And we go, goop, you know, we read those passages. Again, without understanding uh, the words and their meanings in the text, we can end up with verses that we go, oh, that's basically meaningless until I get to heaven. Because I can't be perfect. No one can be. So I read that verse and I go, well, that's just, that's just a verse that'll be filled, fulfilled in eternity. But that's, it doesn't, that idea doesn't even make sense in the passages that we're reading. So take, for example, James chapter one, verse four. It's actually gonna make more sense when we understand and, and is applicable to us today instead of just saying, well, this will be something that happens in the sweet by and by. James one, four. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. So here we see that when we are steadfast, we grow until we are what? Now, well, if, if we've got a bad definition of perfect, then we don't know how to answer this because we're rubbing our hands together and saying, well, it's certainly not saying if we've been perfect, we're, we're gonna, we're, if we, if we remain, remain steadfast, we'll be sinless. What do I do? We start rubbing our hands. What am I going to do with this? No one's perfect. But if we understand perfection to be about maturity, not sinlessness, then this verse makes sense. In fact, it fits with all the other words used in this verse. All those words convey that same idea. Perfect, complete, not lacking. They're all saying the same thing. That your steadfastness, God is going to use that to build in your life like Legos until you are mature, until you are complete, until you've got everything. So when the book of Job says that Job was perfect, it's not talking about his lack of disobedience, but rather the opposite. It's focusing on his obedience which is that he obeyed God and obeyed God completely, obeyed him thoroughly, obeyed him perfectly. And there are other believers that it uses the same word to describe them. And other calls for Christians to be perfect, to be mature, to obey God completely, uh, and for believers to do the same. For example, Genesis 6-9, these are generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. If we've got a theology that makes us uncomfortable with with text or makes us want to get rid of of the text with the the death of a thousand qualifiers again, in the end, the one thing this verse means is definitely not what this verse says. If that's the truth, then our theology needs to change, not our text. Our understanding of the scripture needs to change. It's probably just that we don't understand the words that are being used. Even David, we we can think of a list of sins for David that would probably make us uncomfortable to say out loud. But even David described his way as perfect. Look at 2 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 is very important because 2 Samuel 22 is going to become Psalm 18. One of the chief places in Scripture where this word perfect is repeated multiple times. And and unfortunately, in a lot of translations, we're going to take the same word in the Hebrew and we're going to translate it multiple different ways so that if you're reading in English, you won't even know that it's the same word. You you might even say, look, here are three things that describe the believer. And when you read it in Hebrew, you go, that's really just one word repeated three times and translated three different ways. This is the life of someone who has faith in God. Go down to verse 21 uh, and let's start there. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness and already... We're probably going, well, I don't know about this. Uh, According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the, with the blameless, there's that word perfect again, you show yourself blameless, you show yourself perfect. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble person or humble people, but your eyes uh, are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. There's that word that's been blameless over and over so far in this passage. Uh, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. There's that word perfect again. And I think we can't, in fact, we must learn from David how to talk about things like perfection here in the Christian life or or completeness or maturity, whichever, again, whichever word, because I'm I'm not trying to get us comfortable using the word perfect. I'm trying to get us comfortable with the idea, what scripture is pointing out of the maturity and completeness. David has no problem proclaiming his righteousness uh, and not even just a theoretical righteousness. David said, he doesn't say, and I'm righteous. And then just sort of talk about theoretically. He says he's righteous because he's living a life. I am living a life that that has been born in him by the Lord and one that he doesn't mind claiming and telling others to imitate him as he imitates the Father. An idea that Paul's going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And And Paul's just picking up what David has said. In this passage, which will be, again, be picked up, turned into Psalm 18, David says he's righteous. He says that his hands are clean. He says that he's kept the ways of the Lord, that he's not departed from them, that, that he's done all his rules, that he's not turning from God's statutes, that he's perfect before him, that he's kept himself from guilt, and that God has rewarded him for that, that rewarded him for his righteousness and his cleanness. And then he tells others, he encourages others by saying, he, and, and he won't just do that for me, right? He is merciful, uh, to the merciful, he shows himself merciful. To the perfect, he shows himself perfect. David's saying here, and the psalm is having us sing, to so the people singing the song, aren't just saying, man, David was great and God was great to David. The call is, David was righteous and the Lord rewards his righteousness. And if you are righteous, the Lord will reward your righteousness. David was perfect and the Lord rewarded his perfection. You are perfect, the Lord will reward your perfection. To the one who is perfect, he will be perfect. David saying, You be perfect like me and he'll bless you. Now we would never talk like that. That would make us so uncomfortable. And so what often happens is we get to these passages, and we just skip over them. We don't know what to do with them. Or the ESV just helps us by changing the words. Why? We should be, we, we should be comfortable with these things. We should be able to talk to them. Why? Because David's life, his right, it, it's all it all goes down. It all goes down to verse 32. Because what does David say? His righteousness, his perfection didn't come from him. But it did come. But it did come. It was born though, not from him. It was born out of the fear of the Lord that the Lord grew in his heart. That's, that's, the, that's the punch that David puts at the end. The Lord dealt me according to my righteousness, the Lord, and, and, and my perfection, and all this. And then, then what does he say? This is God's my righteousness. He has made my way perfect. He has made me mature. He has made me complete. He has kept me from these things. And that's the key. The key is on how David ends his talk of being perfect. God, his ways are perfect. And then the very next verses, and he, he has made my way perfect, a parallel that is unfortunately, totally lost in many translations. Totally lost. You, you don't get that. His way is perfect. And then whatever these translators are thinking, whatever they're avoiding, they're avoiding a beautiful parallel in the text. Verse 31, "This God, His way is perfect. Verse 33, this God. This God, again, same thing, is my strong refuge and he has made my way perfect. you lose that. Again, my, my goal isn't to get you comfortable with saying saying the word perfect so that you can go outside and say, I am perfect. And then people go, you can't say that. you back. Like, let me tell you about the real definition of perfect. Uh, that's not what I'm wanting us to do, is just know that perfect really means something else. We can use it all the time and make people uncomfortable around us uh, because we're using the word perfect in the way it was originally used in both the Hebrew, Greek, and English. And they've got a new definition that we know is just not a good definition. My, my, my job isn't to do that. What what I'm doing is, my goal is to get us to understand the words that, that are being conveyed there by the Lord, by Moses, by David. The, the, the Christian who fears the Lord obeys and they obey perfectly. And by perfectly, I mean completely. It is a complete obedience. It's not just about what our lives are lacking, but what our lives are filled with. It's not just that we don't disobey him. It's an important distinction. The Lord doesn't just call us to not disobey Him, which would be what it would, if we said blameless, that would imply not disobeying, no disobedience. But that's not the words that He uses. He uses a word that means complete obedience. And that's an important distinction. It's not just that we don't disobey the Lord, it's that we obey him and obey him completely. And if we go back to our way of all those who fear the Lord, obey all the way. All. You want the all that's going to get in this obedience? They obey the Lord all the way. They obey the Lord completely. They obey the Lord perfectly. That's the standard that the Lord says will be seen in the fruit of those who fear him. They will obey Him and they will obey Him perfectly. They will obey Him completely. They will obey Him thoroughly. They will obey Him until they are finished with that task the Lord has given them. So when it comes to your obedience, set that bar. The obedience of perfection. The obedience of completion. The obedience of obeying all the way. Let's get into some uses and we will be quickly done. Uh, just a couple of uses, and I'll, I'll, I've even got more that, that we won't get into. Maybe I'll pull them into uh, uh, next week. Um, uh, just in, in terms of, of one use if you obey the Lord, you will obey Him. You must obey Him perfectly. Okay, so one of the uses we wanna get from this is, is is a part of understanding all of this uh, uh, and the Bible expects and has seen this, they, they obey perfectly, they obey completely, they obey thoroughly. Those who fear the Lord, they do that. And so what I want you to look in your life and what I want you to, to look for and how to apply this to your life is that very general. Do you see a mature, ripe fruit when it comes to your obedience? Remember the word perfect also means mature means finished, when you look at your obedience, is that the type of fruit that you see? Or is a lot of your obedience plucked green off the vine? Where you'll obey and obey a little bit and be really satisfied with that halfway obedience and you'll pluck it. Like, look, I obeyed. It's a like super green banana that's gonna give you like a bad stomach ache. But you saw a little bit of obedience. You obeyed a little bit. You had one night where you read the Bible with your kids or you had one day where you talked to your kids about the Lord. One day where you prayed with your wife. Oh, you did it a little bit. And so you plucked it and went, look, I obeyed. I obeyed. One day where you're the father you were supposed to be, one day where you're the child you were supposed to be, where you honored your, you go, you went, oh man, I really need to honor my parents more. I'm not honoring my parents. I need to do better at that. And you get convicted of the Lord, you obey them one day and you go, boom, pluck, onto the next thing. I've been obedient to that. What's the next thing I can do? And you pluck that obedience before it is matured into the fruit that it's supposed to be, before it is your life, before it is your way. Those who fear the Lord bear perfect fruit and they will tend the fruit of obedience until it has reached maturity. Again, have you you made steps of obedience but then stopped before you got where you know you needed to get? Satisfied that you did something instead of satisfied that you did everything. Satisfied with some instead of meeting the command for all. Do you not fear the Lord? Are you not amazed by him enough to pursue an obedience that is perfect and complete? Like James said, let the steadfastness of your obedience have its full effect. Now do you see the importance of this? Let that steadfastness have full effect. In other words, you see this obedience, don't just obey a little bit. Be steadfast in your obedience until you are perfect. Meaning what? Until it is complete, until you are lacking nothing. Let that fruit grow. Let it ripen. Don't see a little bit of, of obedience and then not be steadfast in obeying. Don't be a little bit faithful with your money. Don't be a little bit faithful with your time. Don't be some somewhat faithful as a husband, somewhat faithful as a wife. Obey completely what the Lord is before you. Thoroughly let that fruit re- fruit reach maturity. A fruit plucked too soon will bear but a green blessing. We can't look at all the blessings last week and say, Oh, blessings in my, my me and my kids and my kids' kids. To, you know, a thousand generations. So I'm going to do this. And you do it for like a day. You do it for a day and then you look at your family and go, Well, I really thought this was going to help. Let the steadfastness, let the steadfastness of your work have its full effect. Be steadfast. Let that fruit grow. What areas of obedience have you followed halfway, but not completely, not perfectly? Let the words from your God and these the example of these saints drive you. Drive you to be perfect as they were and as he is. And as he has made you to be. Because when you do obey completely, you're going to be like David, who's going to know his life. Like when David's like, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. It's not like he needed us to come in like a bunch of Karens and be like, well, David, do you remember Bathsheba? Hmm. <laughs> David knows it. David knows who he is. David knows who he was. But he knows what the Lord made him. The, the, this God, whose way is perfect, this God has been his refuge and he has made my way perfect. Which leads us to the next use. See in Jesus your perfection accomplished. And, and this is going to be key. This is a key that we always want to remember. We always want to go back to. The key to pursuing perfection here that, that, it, that ends up being a sweet fruit rather than a bitter one is to understand where your perfection is going to ultimately come from. Seeing your perfection in Christ allows you to pursue to be perfect but to do so in faith. That perfect is what you are. Because your perfection has already been achieved before the Father. The perfect works of Christ are yours. That is yours in Christ. They've been imputed to you. In Christ, all your failed alls have already been paid for. Every imperfection has been made perfect by Him. Now go and be perfect. Be mature. Be complete. But do so because you are. Because you've been set free to be a slave of righteousness. His perfection has set you free to be perfect. See the fruit of His obedience in the obedience of your faith. So even as we pursue this perfection, as we pursue completeness, we have to understand we have to get and grasp that the source of this is always going to be Christ. It is Christ who has made you perfect. In him, He has been the perfection that you're called to be. You must be perfect next, because God is making you perfect. You must be perfect because that's what God is making His people. It's what he has made us in Christ. And it's what he is still making us. This idea of, you know, saved, being saved, and we'll be saved. Well, we can't do any of these things. We know only, only Jesus can. I mean, that, that's right. But it's the fact that Jesus did do these things. Not that he can do these things. But he did do these things that now enables you as a believer to do them. Not just because Christ is real, but because Christ in you is real. And not just theoretical saying it's important to understand that when David said my righteousness and he started talking about his life it wasn't just my righteousness and it wasn't just all theoretical he could see in his life the change I think David can say for David to say I am perfect but I am perfect because the perfect one has made me so that's David's point that's the punch of his words. It's a punch of his words in Samuel. That's the punch of that psalm. Because we're reading about David's perfection. and We're going, no, no, no. And we're seeing him call us to be perfect. And we're going, no. So did you notice the finger pointing? He starts out talking about right, his righteousness and perfection. We're like, no, no, no. And then he's like, but the Lord will be perfect to those who are perfect. And then we go, no, no, no. I mean, that's our problem, but I'm not. And what does David say? How is he able to say this? Because the perfect one has made him perfect. That's the punch of his word. And the same is true for us as as believers in Christ. His righteousness is accounted to us, which now opens for us to freely and joyfully pursue perfect, complete obedience. But not because perfect obedience will get us into heaven. This is where the Catholics and the Mormons and basically every other religion get it wrong. But because perfect obedience has been won for us. And and not not in a fruit. This is it. This is this is where we get it wrong because we so. This is where we jump to the ditch on the other side of the road because we're so afraid of of, of like a works based righteousness. We jump to not in a fruit that is totally non existent in our life, and then poof, it's there when we die. Right? You must be perfect. He's perfect. Well, I can't at all. Well, poof, you die, and there you get the fruit. Our obedience is fruit perfected in eternity but present in every life of every believer who lives lives tied to the vine of Jesus Christ. Those who live in the fear of the Lord will have the fruit of that fear grown in their hearts. And that fruit that He will grow, and that He will grow through your steadfastness until it is perfect, is a perfect, thorough, complete obedience. So obey and obey completely. Obey, obey all the way and know that you can do it. The only way you can do that is because of Christ. But because of Christ, you can do it. Let's pray. Father, we are just as aware of our imperfections, the ways we have stopped short of obedience to you we are also aware, Father, of our blame. We are aware of the ways that we are not righteous. Just as David was aware of those when he penned that psalm, and just as he is aware of those in his heart and the life of those around him when he called them to trust that the Lord is merciful to those who show mercy and that He is perfect to those who show their ways perfect. And then reminds them, That this perfect God is the one who makes us perfect. Father, help us see today that if we truly fear you, if we fear you that what will be grown in us is an obedient, will do good, the good of obeying your commands, and not just obeying your commands some of the way, but obeying your commands perfectly, completely. Doing it all the way through. Doing it to the end. Finishing that work. Bringing it to maturity. So help us, Father, to be perfect. Help us to be complete. Help us to lack nothing by obeying you and obeying you all the way. When we get discouraged, may we fix our eyes on Christ. May we be reminded that this obedience does not bring faith. This is the obedience that springs from faith. This is the obedience that springs from the fear of the Lord, not the obedience that brings it. And so since we fear you, we can know in confidence that you will grow this fruit in us because you grow this fruit in all who fear you. So Father, let us be steadfast. Let us not see you grow that fruit in us and then we pluck it too early from the vine. Let us be steadfast and see you grow that fruit until it's perfection, until it's completeness, until it is lacking nothing. Help us to obey and obey all the way, Father, because we fear you. And we fear you because our Christ has obeyed perfectly on our behalf. And that perfection is imputed to us. And we will be perfect as he is perfect because we are perfect now in your sight. Let that confidence spur us to action. And let us, let us rest in the hope of a perfect God who makes perfect all of his children. Help us, Father, to obey and obey all the way. May we fear you. May we be in awe of you, your glory glory and your holiness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.